All right, Kansas City, that was it. We had it. We had an entire draft in Kansas City at Union Station. And Kansas City Chiefs fans, Chiefs Kingdom, you guys showed out like none other. You guys represented Kansas City in an amazing way. And watching from afar, I could not be more proud to be a son of Kansas City and born and raised Kansas City boy, watching how you guys showed up and supported the event and supported our team and just conducted yourselves with with dignity and class and respect. So round of applause for Chiefs Kingdom. You guys crush it today. You guys showed that you guys are the real ones and the truth. And so 100% great job. Um, I'm here today with my main compadre, my main amigo, Price Carter. And then also joining us today is our esteemed guest, the 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 meteor shooting through the sky, rocketing up someday, gonna be on ESPN sitting next to Mina Kimes, breaking down game film. Nate Christensen is with us here today. We're so lucky to have a brilliant dude like Nate. Um, and so welcome, boys. This is the season finale episode of each season. This is the last one for the year. After this, we're taking a break. No more Veach season because Veach season is a draft season only podcast. So with that also being said, thank you so much, everybody who's tuned in. We are so grateful and so thankful that you uh, went on this awesome ride with us and that you dug us enough to keep tuning in. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll start with you first, Price. You were down at the draft on Thursday. So kind of tell us what was it like? What was the vibe? What was your experience? You know, there's um, a lot of things when you plan big events that you you have expectations, you have hopes. A lot of times they fall short. I cannot say that about the draft. It was freaking awesome, dude. I had the time of my life down there. I went down Thursday, and it, it was so much better than I expected, honestly. You know, I expected not to really be able to see or hear and feel completely bored between the picks, and it was an absolute blast. I uh, got there early, so I was able to get basically as far forward on the grass in between the World War One Memorial. Also, newsflash, all those people that you see on camera in the front, they're all like hand-selected super fans. Um, so I, I was not in there, unfortunately. Apparently, I'm not a big enough fan to make the cut. But, uh, man, it was just – it was electric. Just the environment – sitting around fans from all sorts of different teams people have traveled all across the country and like i kind of made sure everyone around with me was cool with me tipping the picks before like the electric moments of like oh my god they took jack campbell after taking jameer gibbs like just it was insane or like will when they when the I, i'm one of my buddies who's with me is actually a steelers fan and he didn't know a whole lot about the draft and whenever they whenever i saw him come up on the clock because it was cool they don't like come out and announce like the steelers are now on the clock it just like flashes up on the screen that steelers on the clock so the place like erupted i was like dude 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 you're getting broderick, broderick jones like this is awesome this makes so much sense them hopping the jets it was it was amazing it was perfect it was perfect everything down to the last minute detail perfect and the city did a great job with it so a lot was being made by the national media about the porta potties down there that they were flushing porta potties that they smelled delicious <laughs> on the inside and that they were just the most the most you know exquisite most enjoyable bathroom toilet experiences that these people have ever had. Did you did you partake of these magic porta potties when you were down there? So uh, I actually purposefully dehydrated my hydrated myself for this event because um, I'm a very hydrated boy and I'm also. Uh, 
a getting older man. So like peeing every 30 to 45 minutes, not that unusual of a thing for me. Um, that didn't work well with standing on the hill for 10 hours almost. So I did use them, but only once, but they were pretty space agey. I, I will say like um, they didn't smell. They didn't have like the, like the sitting water in them, you know, and there were so many of them. I mean like that, that just goes back to, um, the execution of everything was just, it was so well planned out. It didn't matter who you asked. If they had one of the draft shirts on and you asked a question, they knew the plan. They knew what was going on. They knew the next steps, everything. I think I saw like one drunkard get taken away by security, which honestly, considering that the Bud Light tent ran out of booze, like it was going like it was pretty well handled. And I got out of there. I, I parked down at um, uh, the river market and took the streetcar. I got on the first streetcar I saw and got back there. And actually, one of my best moments, like this is the best moment, even better than the Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell picks. So we're getting on the streetcar and obviously it's very crowded, right? And we kind of are some of the last people to get on, but we definitely have enough room. Then the people keep trying to get in. And it's like, hey, the door has to close. There's not enough human space for you. You're going to have to wait for the next one, bud. And then this one guy really didn't get the idea. And the door is like trying to close. And everyone's like, hey, hey, bud, you need to do it. You need to leave. And he's a Colts fan. And he goes, this this man had had a few drinks. He goes, you you can't tell me anything. Anthony Richardson's my quarterback now to to a train full of Chiefs fans. And it's like, buddy, you've had too many. OK, that's how I know. OK, Anthony Richard has done nothing. You're talking to a train full of Chiefs fans. Um, you're going to need to move. That reminds me of this time I was going to a Chiefs Raiders game and there was this hammered Raiders fan in the line going into Kaufman that was trying to pick a fight with every single Chiefs fan in the line. And then he dropped his wallet and he was just trying to pick a fight and he was moving forward, trying to fight people when his wallet was on the ground. And so then I picked up his wallet and I handed it to him. I said, Hey man, you dropped your wallet. And he said, F you and F the Chiefs. And then tried to punch me. <laughs> and I was like, all right, man, well, have a great day. And then security came and grabbed him and he never actually made it in the stadium. Um, but, ah, drunk people. You gotta love their drunken shenanigans. Nate Christensen, welcome, buddy. How you doing today? Did you make it out to the draft at all? I did. I went on Friday, um, and it was all very well. I echo a lot of what Price said. My only issue with it was, and it wasn't Kansas City related, it was really nice on Friday until, like, the evening. Then the wind and, like, a little bit of, like, rain started coming in. And because I had just checked the weather on my phone before coming down, I only packed a long sleeve shirt. I didn't pack any like hoodies with me and I was like, just, you know, kind of cold at the time. Um, so that was the only complaint, but we were right up against the fence. Kind of, I think we're probably price kind of was, um, I could see perfectly. Uh, the entertainment was good. It didn't feel long. The only reason why it felt a little long was because of the weather. If it had been like 10 degrees warmer, it felt like a good pace through that the entire time. It was a great experience, very clean. It was easy to get out of there. We instantly were able to find kind of a, like a street car, and get back to where we parked. I, I can't commend the planning and the execution from all the workers there. They did a phenomenal job. And um, the scene at Union Station was great. It was it was packed, but it wasn't overwhelming. Uh, I was actually talking to my mom about it. It didn't feel like Disney World. And I mean that like as like a compliment. It didn't feel like you were just like crammed with like people after people. So I, I had a great time. I only I only did go Friday night, but that was okay. It was enough. I, I'm glad I was there. I saw the Chiefs make a couple picks. I, I can't comment how how fun it was. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Um, Mayor Quentin Lucas, we know you're a, you're a big fan of the show and you're listening to us right now. So, bravo. Hats off to you and your team of 
pulling off this NFL draft, but next time can you please do something about the weather? Yeah, you really kind of just made it uncomfortable for the people watching. If you could just do something about the weather, maybe seed the clouds a couple days before. I don't know. Burn some tires, whatever you got to do to kind of warm up the area. Um, but yeah, so that's that's awesome, boys. I, all right, so I got I got one question for you, Price. Talking about the the Lions pick of Jack Campbell at linebacker in the first round. Do you think that Dan Campbell knew that pick ahead of time, or do you think that maybe their 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 GM picked him, and then Dan Campbell was just in the draft room and he was like, Campbell, Jack, is that my boy? And they were like, no, you're not related to him. He's like, where is he from? You sure? <laughs> he was like, you sure that's not my boy? And they're like, no, no, Dan, that's not your boy. Do you think that there's a chance that he thought that Jack might be his illegitimate son? <laughs> I, I, I saw I saw that tweet that was like, um, Jack Campbell, son of Dan Campbell, but not really. I've also been making <laughs> um, Rishi Rice, son of Jerry Rice jokes all weekend. And it gets someone every time. Someone's like, you know, you know, he's not actually the son of Jerry Rice. And I say source. Do, do you have proof um but yeah i mean that that whole thing uh i've seen an activity where if you actually just reorganize the lions draft picks it's fine like at 12 they take brian branch it's a little early but he's got good film and then they take jameer gibbs that pick like 20 or whatever 18 is the second one it's like well running back in the first round but he was a riser and then they take then they take um the linebacker Jack Campbell and then Sam Laporta. And you have a pretty good little draft plan there. They just, they just went about it a, a wild way, but I mean, those were some of that and the Will McDonald pick and um, Emmanuel Forbes over Deontay Banks the, and Christian. Wait. Yeah. Over Christian Gonzalez. Yep. Those were some of the most like electric moments of the draft. And I was just so thankful to be there with like 300 of my close 300,000 of my closest friends to experience it. Cause it, it was fantastic. Oh man, I'm so sad that I wasn't able to be there this year. Um, hopefully, I might just take a weekend at Vegas next year, right? And and go check it out out there. You know, I that, I can't see anything going wrong with me being left alone in Vegas for a weekend. Um, but uh, before we're gonna dig into the draft some more here in this episode. But before we do that, you know, I live here in Tampa, born and raised Kansas City boy, but I now live in Tampa here with my wife and kid. And a little bit of really sad news came out today. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers star linebacker Shaq Barrett and his and his wife they lost their two year old daughter um, due to a, a a drowning accident in their pool at their house. And um, I just want to take a moment and just send out the most heartfelt condolences to Shaq Barrett and his family. Um, being a father of a two year old, and I know Bryce, you got a toddler as well. Like when you say that you don't have the words to even think about, like how much that would hurt and how much that, how devastating something like that is, how much it would wreck you that I don't have the words because I can, I can imagine how it feels. And when I try to imagine it, it's so painful that my brain just has to like push it out of my mind and shut it off. Cause the thought of ever losing my child, I've told my wife before, like if we ever, if we ever lost our child, I would be done. I'd be, I'd be over. She would just have to go on with her life because I would be, I would just check out and just, disappear somewhere right you know i like i can't even imagine the heartache and the that they are going through right now and so all of my thoughts all of my prayers are going out to shaq baird and his family because i can't even imagine the just the pain that they're that they're experiencing right now and there are things that are much more important than football football is just football we love it but it's a game but this is real life and this is their child and so i just want to take a moment just to send out 
you know, all the prayers in the world to Shaq Barrett and his family. Yeah, yeah, you said a perfect Rocky. There's there's no getting over that or learning to accept with it or being okay. You just you just learn to live with the pain of something like that and the blame that you would undoubtedly feel like you put on yourself or something like that. It's it's unimaginable. Yeah, I, I saw that notification come across my phone and I just you just had to stop and think about it for a second. So, um, you know, a little bit different path, but uh, to go with this, but just like, and I'm not saying that this could have avoided the situation, but get your kids in swim lessons as early as you can. Um, my wife has taught swim lessons and now teaches lifeguards how to teach swim lessons. And my son is in swim lessons and already kind of like learning to float when they fall in a pool. It's super important. It's one of the leading causes of fatalities in young kids. So um, we, we can shift a little bit, but yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Rocky. Yeah, I mean, it's life is fragile. Everything you have is fragile and it can disappear in a moment. And so just be thankful for what you have and the loved ones in your life, not just your kids, just anybody who you love, just squeeze them a little tighter tonight and tell them you love them because it can all, your whole world can change in the matter of an instant. Um, but yeah, enough, enough uh, talk. We're going to shift back to the draft. Um, but I just wanted to have that moment for a second. So shifting back to the draft, um, Nate, overall, how do you feel about a, the chiefs draft in general or how, and how it compares to the rest of the league? Are there any, are there any, a, well, overall, how you like the chiefs draft? And then also, are there any teams that you really like their draft or you thought that they're a bunch of fools like Motley Fools out there just acting like jokers, making picks blindly. Well, talk about the Chiefs. If I had to give it a grade, I would give it somewhere between a B and a B plus. Um, you're kind of looking at it, and the defensive end room got significantly better. Um, you addressed offensive tackle, which is a big need. You got a wide receiver. You added a nose tackle. The only reason why this – and I think the Chiefs got good value. The only reason why it's not an A for me is I'm still – I still don't love the wide receiver room going into next year. I really still have a lot of concerns about defensive tackle. I, but the problem for the Chiefs was they had a limited amount of top-end picks and money to address every position this offseason. So if fixing defensive end, which is a high-value you know, high value position, and adding to the offensive tackle room was probably priority one and two, you still were able to add some depth to your defensive tackle room, and you get kind of a wide receiver prospect I know we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, overall, like I said, I think the Chiefs got good value throughout. I don't think they really reached on anybody significantly. I don't think I think they read the board well. I thought they kind of let it come well to them. I thought they kind of valued the positions correctly, going from edge to wide receiver to offensive tackle. I would say B to a B plus. It, it would in this draft class in particular, it was going to be hard for anything to earn an A because it just wasn't a strong draft class overall. But I think the Chiefs overall managed their kind of board well. And I don't think you can really leave the draft feeling unhappy with anything for sure. So Overall, I think it's a success for the Chiefs. Was there any team that you would give an A to in this draft? Um, Pittsburgh got a really good draft, which, you know, they're always drafting well. Like I kind of mentioned you guys, I think the Arizona Cardinals had a really good draft. And it isn't necessarily like the players they drafted, but it's kind of the way they like pivoted really quickly. Going into the draft, I thought they kind of had by far the worst situation in the NFL. And now they kind of set themselves up for like a two-year kind of rebuild. So they get they trade out of three to twelve, and they snag the Houston first round pick next year. And based off some betting markets, that might be the number one pick in the draft. Like that's the favorite for the number one pick or the number two pick because their pick is their own. And considering Kyler is out, you just want to accumulate as many picks as possible. There's a real scenario where they get Marvin Harrison Jr. and Caleb Williams next year, 
And then you can still trade Kyler Murray and acquire assets back so that you can still continue to build around those type of blue chip players. And you still were able to move up. You didn't have to give up a ton to go get Paris Johnson. That's a left tackle that is going to help, whether it's Kyler or your next quarterback. You get B.J. Ojolari, who's a super young pass rusher. I kind of like the fit there. So it's not just necessarily their individual players, but it was kind of the way they kind of set themselves up going forward. Because I would have said they were the worst rebuilding situation like four days ago. And now I feel way more confident about them. Oh, 100%. I think that they added some some really nice pieces um, in the draft. And it's, and it's, it's, it's weird because you don't ever expect the Cardinals to be a good team. Like, like you don't, you don't dislike the Cardinals and this isn't any shade necessarily thrown to the Cardinals, but they're just one of those teams that you expect to be middle of the road every single year, because they've always been kind of a middle of the road team every single year. And so the fact that they have a new GM and they seem to do be making some actually intelligent decisions and doing some actual roster building, it's a little bit of a shock to the system, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, so, uh, but Price, okay, two questions for you. A, all the questions I just asked Nate. And then B, have you done a 2024 mock draft yet? And how much will it take to get Marvin Harrison Jr. on the Chiefs according to your 2024 mock draft? I'm going to just, like, get a whiteboard behind me and say, MHJ, no matter what. Like, just, you know, that's, you know, like what the Falcons gave up in the Julio trade. It, you know, it's tempting. It's tempting. Um, you know, overall, I, I think looking at the Chiefs draft, it, it's always going to be hard. You you know, you're probably all reading draft grade articles. They're probably not going to love the Chiefs. Um, and, and it's tough to get a really hard grade when you don't have a lot of capital. The Chiefs had some capital and they used some of that capital maneuver on the board. Who are some of the darlings of the draft is going to be teams who had multiple firsts, multiple seconds, a lot of capital. It's very easy. You know, last year, the Chiefs were draft darlings, rightfully so. I mean, clearly, clearly it, it was a successful draft class looking at the results at the end of the year. Um, for my draft grade, I so I started at a C. That is kind of net neutral and then let the picks, the trades, the value and everything else sway me. So we don't start at A and work down. We start at C. So C is a incredibly average draft. Um, I'm going to stick at like a B minus to B. Um here, here's the things that I liked and disliked. I was very pleased with them holding their water in the first round. It was very, very easy to look at, you know, a trade up, especially when names came flying off the board. But ultimately, Seattle, that was the turning point. Seattle taking JSN, that really kicked off everything. And that whole run happened there. So they were either trying to trade with Detroit or Tampa, who was before Seattle. And that would have that would have taken considerable capital. Now, would I be thrilled if Jackson Smith and Jigwa was a chief? Of course. But ultimately, I, I think that this was the smart, the long play. Um, then we start getting into later rounds. I don't think that they gave up insane capital on any one of the trade-ups that they had, but they did continue to trade up. It felt like they kind of had those two extra fours, pretty much all the compensation that they got from comp picks and Tyree Kill that they played with. I was glad to see them recoup their 2024 fifth-round pick that they sent to move up for uh, in the fourth round. Um, overall, this class signals a real change in philosophy from what the Jesus have done the last couple of years. Last couple of years, it's been about, yes, they draft athletes, but yes, it's also been about like plug and play guys that feel like they have high floors who can come in and make instant impact on the roster and um, be super safe. This is a little bit more boomer bust draft. Uh, FAU feels pretty safe. Um, I feel like, you know, what he's going to be, 
he needs to come along a little bit as run run developer or run blocker, run blocker, run defender. Um, but Rasheed Rice is quite a bit boomer bust. You know, you're you're betting on the traits, you're betting on the tools, you're betting on that you can develop him because as a route runner right now, he's very underdeveloped. And he he basically needs to transform how he plays. Um, the Wanya Morris pick, I like. I like that pick quite a bit. All the pieces make sense. Like looking back, it's like, gosh, how did we not see this with Duke and uh, Duke Mannyweather? That is the O line masterminds guy who's just developed several great picks, including Trace Smith and Creed Humphrey. Um, the trade ups there were fine. After that, I, I don't love the move in the fourth. Um, I don't hate it. But there, there was just never a pick in here that I was extremely disappointed in or frustrated with, but there was never a pick in here that I was thrilled with. So that's why I give it the B minus. Um, you know, going back to the boom and bust nature, like BJ Thompson suspended a couple of games for discipline and um, drug drug issues. Wanya Morris suspended a couple of games for academic issues. Um, you know, those things are a little bit boom or bust. You also have the athletic profile, like BJ Thompson, extremely athletic, um, but, you know, he's really light. Wanya Morris, um, you know, he kind of like transferred schools and ended up sitting behind Anton Harrison for a year before kicking over to the right side. He's had a couple of injuries as well. So overall, I'm leaning a B minus. Uh, I, I still really like this draft, and I think the Chiefs really hit some targets with major areas of need. Um, kind of reflecting on the draft as a whole, Nate brought up the Steelers. They just got absolute like nut punchers, man. Like I just love the Steelers draft. Um, to be able to come away with your top three picks being – Roderick Jones, uh, Joey Porter Jr. and Keanu Benton is just fantastic. I also like the Colts went to my Twitter, read my my guys thread and then just like, okay, you heard it here. Let's draft it. I mean, they got Julius Brent, Will Mallory, Daniel Scott, Darius Rush, Adabwari, Evan Hole, Blake Freeland, Josh Downs and Julius Brent. And oh, by the way, like the biggest freak we've ever seen at quarterback and Anthony Richardson, they they read my tweets. So I, I loved that draft as well. Um, but, you know, it, whenever you suck, it's a lot easier to get good draft hauls. Whenever you have been bad and, you know, are picking at the top of the top of the round, it's a lot easier. But, um, yeah, Colt, Colts were definitely one of my favorites. It's like the old saying goes, it sucks to suck unless you're in the NFL draft. And then hey, it's awesome. I to saw suck a, a ton of, of Texans fans out at the draft. This is their Super Bowl. You know, like our Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. <laughs> their Super Bowl is the draft. This is, you know, this was their big moment. They got to have their bang, bang. I will say one of the coolest moments of the first round. I don't know if the cameras caught it, but CJ Stroud came off the stage and was interacting with like the little Houston Texan super fan area. And the trade-ups, like I said, they don't announce them. So the, the, it just flashes up on the screen that the Texans are on the clock. And he was, like, taking selfies with the fans. And I was like, turn around, turn around. And he turned around and looked and saw that the Texans were back on the clock. He's like, is this – are we back on the clock? And everyone's like, yeah. And then, like, he knew it was Will Anderson. So it, it was a very cool moment. That's awesome. I saw also that uh, Jason Kelsey was hanging out in the in the Philadelphia Superfans area during round one and watching the draft with the Superfans, which is – Pretty yeah, cool, I thought. Cool. Um, personally, I think the Colts crushed the first, the, you know, the draft in general. You know, they got a lot of guys, you know, that I really liked as well. Obviously, Anthony Richardson. I wrote up Julius Brents for the site. Love him. He's a great, long, strong corner. Josh Downs was my wide receiver, number one. So you know that I, I think that him paired with Anthony Richardson. I mean, think about the Colts' targets, though, man. If they, if Anthony, if they can develop Anthony Richardson, they have Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce. Josh Downs and Jelani Woods 
as their targets for him. Like they, and, they, they got nothing but young people, like young, like very athletic and very talented targets for him. And they've, you know, they still got Taylor in the backfield. And then Evan holds a, like a, a young quarterback's best friend with just dump up, dump off yeah. passes and yak. Oh my God. I love that. And like, they're the team that can take downs, right? Because they have so much, they're actually one of the few teams that has a lot of size already at the receiver position with um, Pittman and Woods and Pierce. So downs make down makes a lot of sense there. He can, he has an instant role to production. A hundred percent. And when you look at the chase draft, I think what you look here, you, if you go down the list, you see FAU. Okay. So we needed a legit starting edge rusher across from, um, from Carl Loftus, you know, almost like a Dunlap replacement, you know, not they're, they're different players, of course, but, you know, kind of in the same size length mold almost. And so you have FAU, Kind of, kind of replacing Dunlap. You got Wanya coming in specifically to give Lucas Niang competition. Rashi Rice is almost a one-for-one one Juju Smith-Schuster replacement. You know, in my mind, he may be maybe a little bit younger, a little bit better contested catch, and a little bit less banged-up body, and so he may have a little bit more upside. But then B.J. Thompson is your Frank Clark replacement. You know, you're you're kind of like longer, you know, lighter, you know, speed rusher. And then you throw in a couple of defensive backs to to kind of in the mix to kind of try to compete. And then Coburn, you lost Colin Saunders and you need a you need a big wide body. And then you get somebody who's like 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 Colin Saunders is only six feet tall, but he is wide six feet tall. He is six feet tall and six feet wide, right? And so you needed a guy who was a similar kind of a roadblock there in the middle. And Coburn is even bigger than Saunders. So yeah, I'll, we'll we'll go through each each individual player here in a second, but yeah, just all in all, I would give the whole draft as a whole. I I'll give it a B plus right now, but ask me at week six, and hopefully I'll be at like an A or an A minus because I think it really was a great haul and it and it checked all the boxes of what the Chiefs needed. I didn't really know a lot about Nick Jones before I sat down to write him up for the site you know at at three a.m. this morning. Um, but man, the guy's a competitor. The guy, the guy has that swagger, that intensity. He's, he's very confident in his own ability and he's a competitor, man. Like they, that's the thing is he's, he's not going to back down from any competition. And the, the cool thing was over, the, you know, this is a little bit of, we'll talk about Jones in depth in a minute, but I'll just throw this out there really quick over the, the off season. He knew that they were opening against the Tennessee volunteers and so he spent all summer studying Cedric Tillman because he knew it was going to be matched up on Cedric Tillman. And he knew that like he wanted to get the season off on the right foot. And then he went out and, and, and held a healthy pre-injury Cedric Tillman to 68 yards, which was his lowest output in his, in, in his eight previous games. Right. And so he's a guy who studies film and who is looking to make his mark. Right. And who's looking to, he, he wants to stick, you know, he's, 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 and so he's a guy that, I believe in him after after writing him up. I think that he'll make the team, and he'll be a special teams guy probably for the first couple of years. But he may eventually play himself into some playing time. So let's let's get at it. Let's go through the draft grades um, and, and talk about each individual player. Nate FAU Felix Anaduki Uzama. Got to get used to saying his whole name because he's one of us now, baby. Born and raised Kansas City boy. Went to his first Chiefs game at seven years old. Played college football at K State. You know, he's a, he's a son of, of Kansas City. Um, at 32, you like the pick. 
What's your overall grade on him, and why should Chiefs fans be excited? Yeah, so I give this an A. And when I'm looking at pass rushers, there's three things I kind of want. Athleticism, productivity, and good tape. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but a lot of NFL edge rusher prospects do not check all three of those boxes. FAU checks all three of those boxes. He might lack, like, if we're talking about him as a player, FAU probably lacks any dominant trait as a player. I think that's why he's not a top 20 player, because given his age and productivity and kind of the awards in college, that generally is a top 15, top 20 player. The reason why he isn't, he might not lack that, like, dominant trait. He doesn't have overwhelming length. He doesn't have overwhelming power, bend, exp- so he's good in all those areas, but I wouldn't consider anything of his game special. What I would say, the reason why I love this pick is FAU is going to be a good pass rusher for the next eight to 10 years. The dude knows how to rush the passer. He already has an arsenal of moves. He already kind of has a pass rush plan already developed. He, he understands how to rush the passer. And that sounds like incredibly simple. But if we're kind of comparing it to this draft class, like Lucas Van Ness, Lucas Van Ness has a dominant trait. It's length and power. And that's going to overwhelm at times. But Lucas Van Ness doesn't know how to like convert every kind of trait into that right now. So that means it's going to kind of take him a long time to really develop. FAU might not have any like dominant reps. He might not have like 12 sacks a season at his peak, but his win rates and his pressure rates are always going to be high because he just knows how to rush the passer. He has bend. He knows how to get off. He can use his hands. He has controlled power. The questions for me for FAU is, now that he's going to be playing a little bit wider and not inside the tackle, what exactly does this first step look like? Is he going to be a guy that can really threaten tackles of that first step? And the second kind of question I have is, can he add a little bit of weight and play strength to kind of develop a speed to power game? If those two things are there, if he does have better get off playing wider, if he can add power to this game, this guy's going to be an eight to 10 sack, 70 pressure guy a year for the next seven to 10 years. And that's incredibly valuable. So I don't think he's that far off. I think his profile suggests someone that's usually a top 20 pick. I think there's small things to be concerned about, but given the scheme he's going to be in, given the defensive line room that he's going to be in, I think FAU is going to be someone that we look back four or five years from now that's drafted higher. So I'm, I'm going to say that he's definitely an A. I love this pick. He was probably my favorite prospect throughout this process. And I'm just glad we kind of got him where we got him. Yeah, and so listen to Mike Borgonzi talk about him. He was kind of asked like, okay, so – what is it about FAU that sets people sets them apart? And what he basically said was FAU's dominant trait is his motor and relentlessness. And that he and he said maybe it's because he wears number ninety one. But when I watch him, I see Tom Bahali, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what he said. And so, and I mean, obviously, that's very high praise, you know, for a Chiefs fan. I was a, I I think Tom Bahali was maybe one of my first true true draft crushes when I first started watching any kind of film or anything like that, where I saw him and I said, man, I just, I love this guy. I love how he plays through the whistle and I love how relentless he is. Um, do you think FAU has any of like that, that kind of Tom Bahali streak in him? Um, uh, yeah, I, it makes sense. Because they're, they're, they're different style of players. Tom was a little bit bigger um, kind of through when he was playing, he was kind of more of like a 280 rusher. But they were both kind of the same way. They're like, Tomba didn't have like a dominant trait. I watched the older version of Tomba Holly, so maybe he was different when he was younger. But like, Tomba didn't really have like a dominant trait necessarily. Um, he just kind of knew how to rush the passer like really, really well. Like, he knew how to kind of win from a variety of angles and things like that. And FAU is the same way. This guy just, like, I keep mentioning it, but he's like Mr. Pass Rush. He just knows how to rush the passer. He knows how to kind of use the angles and the technique and how to use his kind of length and arms. 
and he kind of has that plus physical profile. So I I can see the Tom Baholi comps, different body types, but in terms of the kind of the ways they win as a pass rusher, I, I think it makes sense to compare them. This is weird, but I know like obviously the Tom Baholi comp comes up because of the former chief, but I actually think the Tom Baholi is comp is uh, George Karloftis. A little bit bigger, plays more power, straight up effort. He's also working with Tom Bahali this offseason with the hand fighting and everything that he did with kind of like, I think it's like jiu-jitsu or karate or something like that, some form of martial arts. But, I mean, that's that's the player that he reminds me of. Uh, for FAU and, like, the pick as a whole, I'm with you guys. Like, I, given how the board fell, I think comparing him to Michael Mayer and Brian Branch will be – or not Brian Branch as well uh, and Joey Porter – will be interesting. Um, I think, you know, given how the board fell, you definitely weren't going tackle there. You weren't going defensive tackle with Brzee coming off the board that, that they were at the cliff of the wide receiver spot. So I, I like the pick. I, you know, I was horrified. I was sitting there because I, I did not tip picks for the FAU pick. So I didn't like look at my phone. I just wanted to be not a camera in sight, just a man living in the moment, um, listening to sweet words of Clark Hunt. And when I heard the <laughs> I was like, oh, don't you say Keon White. Don't you say those words to me. But I was I was very glad that they kind of held their water. And I was also glad to see that they took a true edge, not a tweener. Like, that's part of the reason why I didn't like the Keon White talk is because, like, we're just going to get all these guys who are like, well, they can't really win on the outside. They're better from pass rushing on the inside. Well, it's like, well, you can't have seven guys pass rushing from the inside, okay? We got to have some people on the outside. FAU wins on the outside. Um, especially whenever you look at how productive of a player he was in college, considering a lot of times he was like lined up on the inside of the tackle or over, or sometimes straight up at the guard with that like three, five, five that they run or whatever it is. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I think he's got more bend than pretty much any current chiefs edge rusher has, which, which is good, you know, and, and BJ Thompson, will get to him in a little bit, but I think that this signals a little bit of Joe Collins influence on the line here. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it just felt really good to pick a Kansas City kid in Kansas City. It, I guess he w- apparently was running around at the draft with Deuce Vaughn earlier in the day, and then they went home for the actual draft. But it's like, man, the only thing that would have been cooler is if he was there and able to come out on stage. But he was a fringe first-rounder. Um, I, I get it. So I, I I really like this pick. I really like the process in the first round here. Um, it, it, it feels like one of the more safe picks that the Chiefs made, and I really like what the Chiefs now have. Like, the Chiefs pass rush for the first time in a long time feels interesting and exciting i mean yeah if you have think about carloftis fau um omen hugh and chris jones and that's your four pass rushers on third down that's a handful to deal with for any offensive line and i don't think it could be overstated and i said this during the live feed but the fact that he grew up a chiefs fan that he went to his first Chiefs game when he was seven years old. Like, you've seen the videos online. He is in tears thanking Andy Reid and Clark Hunt and Spagnolo for taking him. This guy wants to be a Chiefs player more than anything else in the world. And if you think about it, like, we're all huge, huge Chiefs fans, right? And none of us will ever see the football field at Arrowhead. But if we had, if we had FAU's body and FAU's opportunity to play for the Chiefs, like I would literally play until I was dead in the ground and give every single ounce of everything that I have. And that's why I think this is a can't miss pick because it's just such a cool story and it's such a cool situation. And because it means so much to him that I don't think he can possibly fail. 
Like, I don't think he'll let himself fail because he's that motivated. Like, I, like if I had the opportunity to play for the Chiefs, I would run through every single brick wall. I would do every single thing that was asked of me to make sure that I was successful, including, if you're listening, FAU, getting up early in the morning, going with George Karloftis to go practice jiu-jitsu with Tamba Bahali and practice hand fighting because that was a game changer for Tamba in his career where he went from being a really good player to being one of the best pass rushers in the NFL once he started working with the hand fighting specialist. Yeah, and I mean, one thing with FAU too is like he's a really high football character player. Um, and I think in the past, uh, these last two years, the Chiefs have really shifted to those type of players. Nick Bolton was a really nice change for there. Um, you know, there's some issues with Anthony Hitchens, Tyron Matthew, just some people that, you know, didn't always have the highest football character. Not bad people. I mean, Tyron Matthew is a fantastic person off the field as far as what he does for communities and such. But, uh, you know, just didn't always want to put their nose in when they wanted to. Um, when Business FAU decisions. Came, yeah, Business yeah. decisions. When FAU came out of high school, he was 215 pounds. And he just, like, put all this muscle on his frame and really transformed his body. So, um, and that high motor and everything, like, there's a, a, a clip that was cut that was running around on Twitter of him, like, he comes off the edge, makes a read on a run play. Then they the running back cuts the other way, and FAU pursues it all the way down to the far hash, the complete opposite side of the field, and then ends up making the tackle. So he, like, impacted the play twice, just straight up by hustle. Like, he made the original zone read and then went and made the effort tackle at the end. So um, I, I love this pick. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's an A pick for me. Um, moving on, Wanya Morris, uh, Nate Christensen. Uh, what do you think? Do we want to do them in order? Go to Rashi yeah. first or next? Oh, yeah, let's go to Rashi. I don't know why on my list I had one you had a Rashi. <laughs> Apologies. All right, Nate. Rashi Rice next, you know, bigger wide receiver, kind of in that, you know, doesn't get a lot of separate separation, but could jump out of the building, bodies guys up really, really well. Um, interesting thing that he was in Dallas with uh Patrick Mahomes catching. But it wasn't a known thing until after the Chiefs selected him. Like, like Quinton, Quinton was out there catching balls from Patrick Mahomes, and it was all over social media. Zay Flowers is out there catching balls all over social media. Nothing about Rashi Rice catching balls. And then after the draft, after he was selected, Mike Borgonzi was asked about it, and he said he was. Rashi Rice was in was in was in Texas. I had no idea. And then he like winked at the camera. Right. And so was this a little bit of uh, the Chiefs playing, playing the, the social media game and kind of setting everybody up, making them think that they were going to go this way when all along they were going to go another direction? And then also, what do you think of the pick? Yeah, it's possible that they could have done that. I do think Rashi was their target um, to talk about kind of the pick. Um, I had eight or seven receivers above Rashi Rice to name them real quick. Zay Flowers, not Jackson, the Jigba, Zay Flowers, Quinn Johnston, John Mingo. Jaden Reed and A.T. Perry and Jordan Addison were the seven receivers. So six of them were gone by the time the Chiefs were picking. The only one that was left was A.T. Perry, um, who went in the sixth round. I, I don't know why exactly, but clearly NFL teams weren't super high on him. So overall, Rasheed Rice would have been the top receiver on my board if I'd known A.T. Perry was going to be there. So I'm a fan of him. Um, to kind of talk about him as a player, um, there's two things that kind of stand out about him. Number one is his body control. Um, kind of his ability to kind of like, there's a lot of talks about kind of his drops and stuff, but he does have really like strong contested hands. I'm going to keep saying this like 10,000 times. Just watch the Maryland game, watch the Maryland game, go watch the catches he makes, 
the way he kind of locates the football, the way he can kind of catch from these like insane angles. Um, that's something the Chiefs just haven't had kind of since maybe Dwayne Bowe. Not, not really since I've been following the Chiefs. They haven't had a receiver necessarily like that. But the thing that really stands about Rasheed is he's actually like a very like smart wide receiver. Um, I was kind of going back watching his film today because I'm writing him up this week. He recognizes his own coverage as well. He understands leverages. So like there is kind of this component to him where he could be like a Juju Smith-Schuster light type of player. Um, the main kind of thing hold up with Rice, even for me, and I'm going to give this pick a B. And the only reason why I don't love this pick is that Rasheed Rice does struggle to beat man coverage. He doesn't know how to get off the line of scrimmage right now. Um, I don't want to get into a whole thing about separation because I really hate the word separation because I don't. I think it's very. Um, I think people just assume separation is being like Hunter Renfro, which is like there's many different ways to get open as a wide receiver. It doesn't just have to be like an NFL Twitter clip. Um, but he's definitely not the strongest at getting off the line of scrimmage, and it's going to take time. I do not think he's going to be able to beat press at an NFL level immediately. And how well Rice kind of succeeds in the NFL will be determinant on how well he kind of develops in that area. Um, to talk about kind of his role real quick with the Chiefs, I think he kind of serves as what Justin Watson did last year. I kind of want Rice in that role, which is essentially MBS's backup. So when MBS is off the field or they want a different personnel package in, you bring in Rice. That's around 500 snaps a year. I do think you're going to want him in the slot a little bit more so he doesn't get as much press. But because of his ability to kind of recognize coverages, I think that's kind of a benefit. So to kind of wrap this up real quick, Every receiver the Chiefs could have taken in this range probably would have gotten a B for me. Every single receiver after those top guys is probably going to be an average-ish starter in the NFL. Rasheed Rice is kind of the gamble on, hey, maybe this guy can not just be an average starter. Maybe we have a guy who can like legitimately be a wide receiver one or wide receiver two. I'm fine taking that gamble in this draft class. I like some of the players on the board. I would have been fine with them at 55, when they, but Rasheed Rice is the one guy that I confidently will say, could say, could develop beyond that type of player. And the Chiefs can find receivers any year as Patrick Mahomes. Take the risk. It's the second round. You can take that gamble. You, you're afforded that because of the quality of your roster. So for me, it's going to be a B. I, I like the pick. Um, and I, I'm kind of excited to see what he looks like in a much better offensive context. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I I 100% agree with, with almost every single thing you said. And I think it's probably a B for me as well. Uh, Price. So, Rasheed Rice, what's your takes? What do you like about him? What don't you like about him? And why are the Chiefs the best um, covert operations team in the NFL? I'm going to be a little bit more lukewarm on Rasheed Rice. Um, I'll I'll probably give the pick a C. Personally, for me, like given that instance and everything, I probably would have went Marvin Mims or Cedric Tillman over over him. They were both on the board at the time. Be interesting to kind of track those three players and see how they line up. Uh, two very different players and Mims and Tillman, both kind of them like Rishi Rice, kind of like the nice little happy middle in between them. The thing about Rice is, is this is a project. Uh, I do not see a I put a Twitter poll out asking if he would out produce Sky Moore this past season. And it was an overwhelming yes. And I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I you, I part, know. Part of the part of the thing is with Rice is is he and I com- I agree SMU the way that they used him they almost like were setting him up for contested catches, but yes. Rice came in and in in the press conference said that he models his game after DeAndre Hopkins, my guy you are not DeAndre Hopkins, he was listed at six six three at SMU but he's six foot on the on the nose, um and two hundred and three pounds, um 
he just like he he needs a total redo of how he models his game. I think the raw athletic traits are there for him to be a good NFL receiver. My comp for him is Brandon Ayuk. Like that that's that's who I'd really like to see. But the problem is that's not how he plays and he's going to really re- really need to renovate and redo his game. Now, do I think the Chiefs can do it? Yes, but given how like a ready-made wide receiver struggles in year one for the Chiefs, I think that this is a going to be more of a long play. Now, again, you look at the RAS and everything, like it's very encouraging. And the good news is, is like those ball skills, they're going to stick around with his ability to make contested catches. Those can still stick around, but the not getting free releases, the lack of separation, um, those, those are concerns that are definitely going to pop up. And something else too with him is like, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're a huge believer in this turf toe injury. Because like his 2021 was much stronger than his 2022. Um, now he he did produce a lot. I mean he he almost averaged over a hundred yards a game in this past year, but the tape wasn't as crisp. Um, it's interesting. He just doesn't and like you know I, I just don't think a lot of us know what we expect from him because some people, you know I've heard the like MVS replacement for him, but he doesn't really have the straight line speed to be an MVS replacement and like. Honestly, I, I wonder what this means for Sky Moore a little bit, just because, like, I don't know. Do they do they really think Sky Moore can win on the outside? Because, like, Rasheed needs to be in the slot some. You know, Kelsey's going to mix in there some, too. Like, right now you have, like, and, like, Tony, you can definitely see mixing in there some. Like, right now you have one guy that you feel absolutely plays on the outside, and that's MVS. And then it's just kind of like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's a little bit of like the Island of Misfit Toys where it's like, we've got about like four guys that we feel like could play on the outside, but probably are best utilized in the slot. And that's not including Kelsey. So um, it'll be interesting. I don't, you know, um, the the Justin Roth truthers uh, might be scared by this one because they're very similar players, like kind of like where they win and how they win. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I probably would have went Mims or Tillman. Like Mims just feels more like the skill set that the Chiefs value. Um, he will get a good look at him twice a year with the Broncos. Um, but yeah, I this pick I, I'm a little more lukewarm on. But I will say, if the toe injury is as big of a deal as we're making it out to be, um, I believe Patrick Mahomes has it in his contract that he's allowed to make a pick every time he wins a Super Bowl. This was his pick. He's you know it sounds like he really lo- liked him, and all the media stuff that the Chiefs have put out seems that they really were infatuated with rice let's hope it means good things yeah and i think that one one area where you're going to see rice like rice may probably won't out out catch sky Moore this year just by sheer default that sky Moore is the second year wide receiver in andy Reid's system but also one of Moore's big selling points coming out of college was his release packages were supposed to be pretty advanced and pretty well developed um and so and Moore said himself on his um on his on his on his documentary series on YouTube in the very first episode that he didn't have a good grasp of the playbook until week eight of the season. And I think you can kind of see that when you watch the games early on in last season. So I think coming into this year, he'll be a lot more prepared and ready to rock. Um, one area where I think you will see Rashi Rice be used and be effective is inside the five yard line in the red zone, right? You know, where, no, nobody's going to get a lot of separation at that point. You're going to throw the ball in a place where only he could get it and let him try to make a play on it. Now, I'm not talking fade patterns because I hate fade patterns, but, you know, put him in the slot on a quick slant, throw it low, let him go down and try to grab it, you know, off his shoelaces and catch a touchdown. Um, so he might get more touchdowns in Sky more this year 
but he's not going to get more yards and more receptions, you know? And so that being said, okay. So we've talked about Rashi Rice. I'm at the point where in Veach I trust. I think that, you know, who, who I rather would have had him take is besides the point at this point. He's a Kansas Well, I, I think so. I, not to argue, but I, I would say like, this next pick we're going to talk about Wanya Morris and then like the ne- the following pick in the fourth round, like they've, they've built a reputation. Like you feel good about the Chiefs taking and developing cornerbacks and, and offensive tackles. The wide receiver has been a little bit more of a tough, like conundrum for them to solve. Like basically you're looking at McCall Hardman who was, you know, Dexter McCluster plus, um, and you've had Sky Moore and, you know, just, just not a whole lot otherwise, as far as development of wide receivers. So like, Rashid Rice is another chapter in this. Obviously, we're going to get another look at Sky Moore. But but I do think there's a reason to to meet this with a little bit more skepticism. I'm not saying that I'm out on the pick or anything, but I do think, you know, just overall looking at it, I the Brett Veach, like we trust him on this. I would like I, I would like to see a little bit more before I just say like the Chiefs are good at developing wide receiver play. Well, to say the Chiefs are good at developing wide receivers is a double-edged sword, though. They've only drafted four wide receivers in the first round in the history of the entire organization. And they haven't historically even taken a lot of second round wide receivers. So they haven't invested draft capital in the position until recently. Um, so, I mean, if you're looking at their first round wide receivers that they've taken, they've taken Dwayne Bow, John Baldwin. Um, and then you have to go back further that I can't remember off the top of my head from here, but you know, um, they, they just haven't valued the wide receiver position like other teams have historically. I think I think even more than Sky Moore, I want to see what Kadarius Tony does this year. Because like Sky Moore, he's got like the athletic, like he has physical limitations and then the small school step up. But Kadarius Tony, you're talking about like a guy who it's a first round pick, has athletic traits that are elite, SEC level of competition. He just like, you know, runs four or five route routes. Like he needs to develop. Like I, you know, we've talked about this before, but if he comes out this year and is a much more developed route runner, like then I'm going to really start to believe that they can kind of continue to invest a little bit later compensation into the position and generate like Patrick Mahomes worthy weapons other than Travis Kelsey. One interesting thing I think about Tony that I didn't get talked about a lot is they they've said in interviews a little bit, and he said it that he gets really, really hyped up during the game. And sometimes his emotions get away from him because he gets so like amped during the game and he's like up here and just like firing at like an 110% in his brain, like the entire time. And if you watch during the Super Bowl when Kadarius Tony caught his touchdown and he came to the sideline, the first thing Andy Reid said was good job. And then he said, okay, calm down, calm down. Like, 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 like stay calm, like stay locked in. And he said, I'm good coach. I'm good. And then he ran to Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes said, Good job. All right, stay stay calm, calm down, stay locked in. And so it, it seems like there's been a conversation there between Tadarius Tony and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid about like him staying locked in and not getting himself too hyped up during a game. And so I think that'll be something to watch moving forward. But also, we're not talking about this isn't Kadarius Tony's podcast. This is this draft, this draft class's podcast. So moving on, Wanya Morris. Round three, Chiefs trade up for him. Did you like the pick? He's an OL masterminds guy, you know, which is is a pretty good, you know, selling point in my opinion. Um, but yeah, there was some other some other guys on the board that they possibly could have taken instead. Dewan Jones being one of them, the massive, you know, battleship of a human. Um, what'd you think about it, Nate? 
Uh, I like Wanya Horace a lot. Um, obviously kind of an insane recruiting profile. I think he was like a top 10 recruit nationally. So like very, very like highly eluded profile, similar to what like Trey Smith was in high school. Uh, obviously was a transfer in Tennessee. Tennessee, you know, you saw that with Trey Smith and Darnell Wright. Some of the guys they take just, they'll get these very highly recruited offensive linemen and they just take a long time to develop. No idea why. It's just been a trend in these recent years. Um, I really like Wanya Morris. He's a very, very good athlete. You can notice that on film, he has the requisite length. The biggest problem with Wanya Morris right now isn't necessarily anything athletically. It's just kind of his like punch and hand placement right now. He just like, it's high, it's two-handed. He's just very inconsistent right now, um, which was also kind of a problem with Anton Harrison, not quite as much, um, which is why Wanya Morris is kind of near the end of the top 100. But I I like all the traits, and I think the Chiefs are going to be able to kind of, and Duke Manyweather too, um, as a guy that kind of develops these guys. They're going to get that cleaned up. That's something that can absolutely be cleaned up. Andy Hex, a good offensive line coach. Talk about his role with the Chiefs. I wrote it at Arrowhead Pride today. I think Wanya Morris is going to start at right tackle this season. I really do. I think Lucas Niang will go into OTA's training camp as the starter. But Lucas Niang's had a lot of injuries, man. A patellar tendon and a hip injury. And he hasn't really like proven anything in the NFL. I don't think the Chiefs are committed to you know Lucas Niang starting at all. Otherwise, why would they have drafted Wanya Morris? Lucas Niang has two more years on his rookie deal. They clearly don't trust him to be like the starting right tackle here. I think Wanya Morris, if he can pick up the playbook, if he's someone that Andy Heck feels good in their development, I think he's going to start. And I think he could provide average-ish, maybe below average right tackle play immediately, which is probably where Andrew Wiley was last year. And getting at the end of the third round when you needed competition at right tackle, I think is a major benefit. And maybe Lucas Yang does play well, and Wanya Morris does sit behind him per year. That's perfectly fine. That would be a good pick. I think Wanya Morris will be the long-term, not long-term, but like the next three years, four years, he'll be the starting right tackle. And I'm very happy with this pick. I think the Chiefs are going to be able to kind of develop the best parts of his game. Yeah, and you know, Mitchell Schwartz was talking on the Athletic Podcast a couple weeks back about hand placement and punch timing and that sort of thing. He said something that really helped him out when he came out of of college because he was struggling with it was it's a medicine ball. You just take a 20-pound medicine ball and you throw it at the guy's chest and he has to punch it. And if it goes straight out or goes up – then it's right. Then it's correct hand placement. If it goes straight down, then it's bad hand placement and it's a bad punch timing. Um, and so he said, those are the sort of things that you can, that, that guys like Andy heck utilize to, to fix punch timing pretty quickly within, he was talking like within like a two week period, his punch timing was fixed because you just drill it over and over again and you get the feel and you know, when you've done it right versus when you haven't done it right. And so that's, so I a hundred percent agree with you. I think one Morris is, punch timing issues are going to get cleaned up very quickly once he gets he gets you know Andy Hex you know gets 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 his hands on him. Uh Price, what do you think about the one you one you pick and what's your grade on it? I, I really like this pick. Um I I feel like this is probably my favorite pick of the draft, that and the Coburn selection. So I'm gonna give this an A. Just just makes all the sense in the world to see the NFL length, the the arms, the recruiting profile the Duke Mannyweather connection playing next to Trey Smith at one point. Um, it, it just makes a ton of sense. And this also goes back to, you know, we were having the conversation about what does the wide receiver room look like right now? The infrastructure that the chiefs have in place is so encouraging for a player like Wanya Morris. You know, I, I look at, I like to look at things and say, how does this fail? How does this go bad? 
And you really have to kind of create some situations with the Chiefs offensive line right now to say it goes bad. I mean, it starts with injuries, right? Like, okay, you know, maybe you lose Tooney or Creed or Trey. And then, like, you know, maybe Juwan Taylor can't handle left tackle. And then, you know, you've got, like, three guys who are all – three or four guys who are all kind of right tackles, not really a true left tackle. But you're, re- you're really saying quite a few ifs in that instance. Um, I-, I think that, you know, this definitely signals, like, Juwan Taylor, you are playing left tackle. But I, I really like this selection as far as the value where it came at, and also kind of given the choices. You know, they we we talked about what are the order that the Chiefs going to address this in: edge, wide receiver, tackle, tackle, edge, wide receiver. I feel like where they went and got the players that made the most sense. Edge was where the best value was where they were. Wide receiver, you know, we saw that pocket of players go: Mingo, Rice, Tillman, Mims. They all kind of went that second round. If you weren't going to go get the top guys, and then like Saldivari. Um, Freeland went around this time. Wanya Morris went this time. Um, you know, it, one thing that's interesting to me, we were talking pre-pod a little bit. Who did the Chiefs trade with to get Wanya Morris? The Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals need a right tackle. Unless they're going to stick with Lyle Collins, who's coming off a torn ACL or something very serious torn and is an injury-prone aging player, or are they going to tell Jonah Williams to kick it over to the right side, who said he doesn't want to? You know, so like they, they definitely could have maybe used one year more. So so it'll be interesting. But I feel like playing next to Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey and experience line, you got Joe Tooney. I, I just feel like this is a huge shift and a huge statement made by the organization. They could have went and got Dewan Jones, right? They let Orlando Brown walk. We're getting more athletic tackles so we can play our game. And it feels like the outside zone stuff is right back on the table. And it feels like you know, right now the, the offensive line, the ceiling has been raised, which is something that is weird to say because the chiefs have had a good offensive line and clearly the offensive line success was paramount and the chiefs winning a super bowl, but the ceiling has been raised by the group overall with the selection of Wanya Morris. So I, I love this pick. I think there was a, a specific purpose, purposeful like actions taken by the chiefs this off season to get more athletic at offensive tackle. Yes. And they said, they, they said we, to, to run the moving pocket, you know, that we want to run to, to, to extend plays for recovery purposes, you know, like uh, Mike Tice, you know, used to say, you know, it's not a lost rep if you recover well, right. If you have that speed and athleticism to recover, then you didn't lose the rep. You may have initially lost the rep, but you recovered and you didn't lose the rep. Right. And so with with Orlando Brown Jr., there was no recovery ability. Once he lost the rep, the rep was lost. And so I think that you see with the, with the uh, moves the Chiefs have made, there's more recoverability there. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and for the trade ups, the people who are upset about the assets we gave up to trade up because we didn't have to trade up for these guys. Listen, we didn't get we didn't trade away Patrick Mahomes to trade up and get an office of tackle guys like. Like we gave up assets that were bearable to make sure that we got the guy that we want. You can say that Wanya Morris was going to be there and the Chiefs would have stood pat, but you don't know that. You don't know where other teams had Wanya Morris ranked. You don't know if other teams said, this is our last guy left in this tier of offensive tackle. And if he's there, we're going to take him. And if he's not, then we're going to take a wide receiver. We're going to take a cornerback. Like we don't know their boards. We don't like, so you can't, say that the Chiefs could have got him at that position because unless you're in the multiverse, you have no idea, you know, right? And so anyway, that's my two cents on that. We'll move on to Chamari Connor. Chamari Connor, safety um, out of Virginia Tech. 
didn't watch a lot of film on him in the pre-draft process. Um, you know, didn't know a whole lot about him pre-pick. Nate, what did you think about him? Well, I haven't watched any film on Jamari Connor, so um, I don't have too much to say about him right now. Um, obviously, you're kind of looking at his profile. You got kind of the length, the athleticism there. Um, so I haven't watched any tape yet. So I know he's kind of a big special teamers. I think that's going to keep him on the active roster immediately. That's what I wrote about this morning. Um, so he's going to be someone that plays every week. Um, the Chiefs are pretty full with their defensive back room. So I don't expect Jamari Connor to really play any snaps on the defense this year. He's going to be behind Mike Edwards, Legarius Sneed, um, Trent McDuffie, if he plays in the slot, Justin Reed, uh, uh, Brian Cook. Like He's not going to see the field. He's probably going to be your last active defensive back every week. Um, your hope is that the Chiefs, and they've done this well, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. Every D3 pick they picked a defensive back seems to work out one way or another. Um, they develop these guys well. I like the room he's in. He has the athletic talent. I'll watch more tape this week to d- kind of tell like where I have on him. So my grade is kind of like TBD, uh, which isn't great in an initial grade podcast uh, because I haven't got a chance to watch him yet. But I wouldn't expect much year one. You're just looking at a guy who plays special teams and. Who knows? We don't know if the Jerry Seen will be back next year or Mike Edwards. They're both unrestricted free agents. Maybe Connor fills one of their roles. I guess we'll see. Um, I, I can't grade it right now, but that's kind of what you're looking at year one. Price, how about you? If you watch on Connor, what's your thoughts? Uh, I've not had a ton of opportunity to watch him either. Uh, I'll say that just kind of the process overall, this is probably my least favorite pick of the draft, which is fine. There has to be a least favorite and a most favorite, right? Just like your kids. Everyone's got their favorite kid. Just kidding. Don't don't prioritize your children um but on a more serious note i this feels like uh special teams was kind of the predominant motivation here which i understand special teams have been absolutely brutal last year but a lot of that was not so much coverage and tackling as much as it was like just get returners who don't drop the ball and stop taking the ball five yards out of the end zone but it it feels like you know it sounds like he does best when things are in front of him like him with his back turned to the ball, trying to cover players, whether it be in the slot or on the outside. Um, it, it's a concern. He He's an aggressive player, an athletic player. You know, they continue the trend of pretty much in the first four or five picks, drafting guys with elite RAS scores, which I, I love that method. But I, you know, this just feels like, again, you're raising, you're slightly raising the room of the, uh, the, the floor of the safety room. We like to think we know a lot about Brian Cook, the player, but truthfully we don't you know we've not seen him be be relied on as an every down starter basically the only safety you know a lot about right now is justin reed um you know mike edwards feels like you know he's probably pretty safe but i would say anything after him probably isn't safe to make the roster that Dion bush nazi johnson um shamari connor mixture would be interesting to watch how they rotate in during camp and you know again the special teams floor is there i guess i don't mind having a guy who as a key contributor there Honestly, one thing that I kind of thought about with him, even though very different players probably is like Dan Sorton, right? Like Dan Sorton's immediate impact on the roster was special teams. One of the biggest plays he ever made for the Chiefs was a special teams play. And then, you know, he mixed in as a third safety and kind of grew from there. So, I, you know, I don't like hate the pick or anything. It, it's just like the trade up for him. Some of the other players are available. The whole like who effect of when the pick came in, given some of the other players that were on the board at the time. But overall, I, I understand it. And I don't want to say this is a luxury pick because like it's a fourth round pick. Um, but it, it did feel a little bit like we feel like we're good enough that we can kind of just take a stab here. But after seeing like they were able to wait on no uh, defensive tackle a little bit, I did 
it, it helped seeing that they were able to grab Coburn later. Awesome. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, let's talk about a guy who maybe you liked a little bit more, Price, uh, B.J. Thompson. You, did you like the B.J. Thompson pick any better than you liked the Chamari Connor pick? Yeah, I the B.J. Thompson pick was really exciting to me. Um, I, you know, I, I did mention some of the issues that he had off the field. Uh, he had a s- discipline issue, suspended a couple of games, and then also uh, fa- uh, failed a drug test. That's part of the reason why he moved schools. Um, but overall, like B.J. Thompson, this excites me because this is a player that the Chiefs have not went down this path at all. I mean, B.J. Thompson is the most slightly built, most athletic edge rusher the Chiefs have had since D. Ford, probably. Um, and I, I like this because I think it signals one, like we're getting variety in here from like what Joe Cullen's impact is. And I like this because this really kind of creates like a lot of different options that the Chiefs can issues and mismatches that they can create in the pass rush. Honestly, when I looked at him, like the first name that came to my mind was Orlando Brown because he just feels like the type of guy that would just go right around Orlando Brown. And I know like it feels like there's sometimes that teams draft players to counter other players in their division. Like, you know, Tyree Wilson was talking about sacking Patrick Mahomes in his introductory press conference. Um, he, you know, he's, he's again, he's going to be more of a project. I think like the absolute ceiling for him is like what you're seeing, like what the Detroit Lions did with James Houston, right? Where he plays like a hundred snaps and has like 12 sacks. And it's like, what the heck? How's this possible? You know, um, but you're looking at a guy who you want to be the forgotten man. You know, we said it here. Like if you've got FAU, uh, Chris Jones and Charles Aminahu on the field, and then you've got this guy from Stephen F. Austin, you're like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about him, right? And it's like, oh, he's really fast and really bendy and a freak athlete. So I, I like this. This is the exact type of pick that you want to see on day three. Bet on the traits, bet on the profile, and then create mismatches. So I, this pick I was very enthused about. So, Nate, question for you. B.J. Thompson, is he, a, is he a Dollar General Nolan Smith, or are they different player types, and, and does he need to put on more weight? And then what do you think of the pick? Um, I don't know if I would go that far about the Nolan Smith thing. Yes, he needs to put on more weight. Um, I'll admit I'm a little bit lower on BJ Thompson. Than I think some people are. And I think some of it is people are looking at his like relative athletic score and being like, that guy can, you know, instantly play. And I I like the BJ Thompson pick. Let me be clear. 
what I kind of said was the best part about the BJ Thompson pick is it resets your kind of developmental contract window that you had with Joshua Kando. You had two years of Joshua Kando on your roster. He didn't really click. Um, I know he was kind of hurt his rookie year, but it just didn't really all come together. He never really made an impact on the active roster. So resetting his rookie contract with BJ Thompson is a win. So in from that sense, you know, it's a B or an A. I'm not sure BJ Thompson gives you anything year one or year two in the NFL. Right now, I don't think he has the play strength to really play on an NFL field, frankly, um, both as a run defender, even as a pass rusher. Um, I get you kind of look at like the explosive profile. He just doesn't really know how to rush the passer right now, which is pretty typical of these guys on day three. That's why they're going on day three when they're really good athletes. Um, your hope is that you put him in a good defensive line situation. The Chiefs do not need him to play for, you know, potentially a year or two unless injuries happen. Um, you teach him how to rush the passer. He can sit in an NFL weight room and kind of add more density, add more play strength. Um, like I mentioned, I don't think BJ Thompson will be active for a single game this season unless there's injuries. So that's probably going to be a little bit disappointing for people, but that's perfectly fine. It's a, it's like the 175th pick in the draft. You're not looking for your next, you know, great pass rusher. You're looking at a guy with length. You're looking at a guy who has weight to add to his frame and has the athletic profile. Is there anything you can click out of that? So overall, I think the pick is good. I'm a little bit lower on the player. I don't know if he's ever really going to give a lot for the Chiefs, but it's worth the swing based off his athletic profile. I can't wait until he has 12 sacks this sophomore season. And I say, <laughs> Nate, take that. Da, da, da. I don't know if it's yeah. actually never going to have 12 sacks in any season. He may never have more than four sacks in a season. But like you said, at this point in the draft, take a swing on a developmental guy, get him in there, teach him some stuff and see what happens. Um, the next pick in the Chiefs draft was one that I was really a bit high on. You know, we wanted him to get some beef. We wanted him to get a little wider. And Keandre Coburn, his good reps are as good as you're going to see from a guy his size. And then he disappears sometimes. And I think a lot of that has to do with just being as big as he is. What, like, what is it, like 6'3", 330, something like that? Um, let me look at it real quick. 6'2", 332 pounds. That's just a lot of weight to move around on a consistent basis, snap in, snap out in the NFL. So I think there's, it's inevitable that they take a couple of snaps off. Um Nate, what would you think of Keandre Coburn, and what's your grade on it, and what's the pros and cons? Yeah, I sent out a tweet after the V.J. Thompson and Jamari Conner picks. It was like, the Chiefs currently have zero defensive tackles under contract next year, and then their next pick was a defensive tackle. So from that sense, it's a win because you literally needed anybody on the defensive line. Um, talk about Coburn as a player, perfect backup nose as his rookie year. Um, Derek Naughty, I wrote about, he said his snaps decreased four years in a row. So the Chiefs have kind of moved off of Derek Nottie a little bit more year after year. It's his second straight year with a minimum contract. Frankly, I thought Derek Nottie was pretty bad last year. Um, I thought it was very, like, replacement-level defensive line play. So maybe Coburn takes his starting spot. I would not be shocked by that at all. But regardless, you need a guy who can come and play 10, 15, 20 snaps a game. Perfectly fine. I think he's a perfectly good nose. Um, the tape's good. I was really surprised he made it this far. Um, a, you know, a plus a pick. It was a great pick. I know what he's going to do immediately. Probably not a super high upside, but the Chiefs literally needed anybody to play defensive tackle for this team this year that wasn't named like Danny Shelton or somebody I don't know. So I'm glad they kind of picked him. He's someone that has four years on his contract, which is really important because the Chiefs have really neglected crashing defensive tackle. So overall, massive win. Love it. I love it. I agree 100%. It's a guy that you have control of for four years, and that, that in itself is important. Uh, Price, what did you think of the pick? 
And did you see his 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 thank you video to Chiefs Kingdom after he got picked, where he was holding his his little his little baby, and how how much did that warm your heart? I always feel like I get like stunted on a little bit by these guys when they're like 22, get drafted in the NFL, have been making like six figures NIL money, and already have a kid, and I'm like 30, and you know I'm like what well what the hell man like kind of like rub it in my face, but yeah I did I did see his little one. Um, you know, Coburn's a little bit interesting. I think very quietly, uh, no one really talked about like his percentiles, very, very small, short arms. Um, honestly, like the only person like he's in like the fourth or third percentile of arm length for defensive tackles and noses. I, I don't know if that stuff matters as much for in, uh, like a true nose. You know, I, I think, you know, you're, you're certainly looking at him and saying like, Hey, two downs at the most for Coburn. Right. Like I, I saw one of the comps for and some of the draft uh, profiles looking at was Brandon Williams. And that, that makes sense. Right. Like the Chiefs literally had Brandon Williams on the roster this season. So I, I think one thing he, he played a lot of snaps at Texas. So I think that him kind of being a rotational guy, you know, you've got him, you've got him and Derek Naughty. And I think, you know, whether it is Danny Shelton or it's Brandon Williams again, like we're talking about one of the least valuable positions in football as far as like, um, investment now it, it can really pay some dividends with like a player like DJ Reader who really frees up things. I, I think ultimately what you're wanting is like if you can get Coburn to eat some more blocks and free things up for Drew Tranquil, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, um, Leo Chanel, like that, that's really going to help. And you know, we've mentioned several times that we don't feel like Derek Naughty is an ascending player anymore. In fact, he's a descending player. So Coburn was a worthwhile investment. And I was clamoring for us to get his teammate as well. Uh, I wrote a, wrote about Moro Jomo and really liked him as well. Um, didn't end up happening. But yeah, I, I, I like this pick. This is honestly probably my favorite pick as far as like where they got it, the value. There was a trade down involved for it and everything. I, I really like this. Yeah, the Moro Jomo slide was kind of crazy to me. He He, he went so far down he almost didn't get drafted you know he slid so far and so that was that, that was that was really really just kind of wild to me because i i would have liked the chiefs to have, have nabbed him as well mm-hmm. too i thought he's he, he had some really good tape and was had some good juice on the defensive line um let's go with nick jones though price did you have you watched any nick jones do you know anything about nick jones what's your what's your thoughts on nick jones no, I've not watched Nick Jones, um, but just kind of um, obviously did a little deep dive into reading about the draft profiles and stuff on him. Uh, honestly, this is like classic, like Brett Veach masterclass right here. Like, obviously, we've not seen him play and he might stink. It, it's totally possible. But just the length and everything like this just screams what the Chiefs do. This is Jalen Watson. This is Shervarius Ward. This is all those players that they've moneyballed into being good producers. Um, he's physical wins with his, you know, body, you know, struggles a little bit with like straight long speed, but, and again, another special teams ace, like a four or four phase special teams contributor. He has like a blocked punt, a blocked kick in a season. Um, I, I really like this selection. Um, I know like I was kind of hoping, hoping for like Hunter Loopkey or Keaton Mitchell. And um, I did, I did want to bring this up. I know it's a little off topic, but I think like going back to my draft grade, like probably my biggest complaint about this draft as a whole and kind of putting it through the lens of like, Oh, go get Keaton Mitchell or Sean Tucker or Bryce Ford Wheaton or some of the seventh round. It's like, I just feel like this draft, we kind of just stuck with the old, like, Oh, Pat and 
Pat and Travis will figure it out. They got it. And I know that they added Rasheed Rice, but like this, this, this team has invested a lot into the defense over the past few years. Like there's, there's really not a lot of excuses left for this defense to be anything less than like top 10, in my opinion, as far as the picks, the players that are being paid and everything. And I, I just really would have liked to see another toy for the offense. And I mean that just like, like Luke, Luke, would have been that right. Because he is a, a playmaker down the field as a pass catcher and a blocker that she's used to fullback quite a bit. And Keaton Mitchell was like, you know, Hey, this guy has like game breaking speed, definitely not an every down running back. And they didn't, they didn't ultimately do that. Now we'll get to UDFAs in a little bit. I do feel like there's a guy who ha- who can win in some similar ways to Keaton Mitchell, but I, I like, lo- I like this pick. It, it made sense. This is kind of one of those that like, ugh, you wish you might have had one, you know, one of those other sevens that we traded away because there were some guys there to be had at the seventh who I felt like could have made real impacts on the roster. Yeah. So I'll say this about Nick Jones. Um, he is a press man corner, plays primarily on the outside, does not play in the slot, um, does not play as well off ball because of that lack of speed. If a guy gets a running start at him, he struggles a little bit more as opposed to if he if he uses strength and jam him off the line and press cover him a little bit more, he, he seems to have a lot more success. So I would, I would expect him to be, to, to, you know, be played that way. Um, he did, however, that, that blocked field goal came during his bowl game. He's a big game player to hit an interception during the East West shrine bowl. Um, one thing also about him, he has very fluid hips and he recovers well. If he gets beat, if a guy you know fakes inside and goes outside, he's got a great spin move back around outside to recover. And he had some really great reps and tape that he put up the East West Shrine Bowl in their one-on-one drills, but then also in the game as well. And so for where you got him at, I think he's 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 a, he's a special team standout and he's a he's a he's a blue-collar, hardworking guy who literally just he said in his in his in his post-draft interview that he comes from wherever any any fan comes from and he's just like us and so he's the bridge between the team and the fan because he had a he had a, a really hard time getting to where he is right now and he's and he's no better than any other average fan and so he's he's a very relatable you know guy and easy to root for um Nate what did you see on tape about him. I, I haven't you, watched Nick got? Jones yet. Um, but again, it's another case of the Chiefs having a long cornerback who's got decent speed, maybe not great speed, but using him in press man coverage. And knowing the Chiefs' recent track record here, he's probably going to be a good starter. Um, I, you know, we'll see. Uh, whether he kind of sticks around the roster, he's going to compete with DiCaprio Boodle. He's going to compete with Nazi Johnson. Dion Bush are kind of those last defensive back spots on the roster. Um, you know, maybe he uh, just kind of goes on the practice squad this year. We'll see. Um, I will, again, I like I said, I will defer to the Chiefs on any defensive back evaluation on day three um, because they seem to hit on every single one of them. So um, who knows? We probably have the next Jerry Sneed. Um, I'm kidding a little bit there, but we'll see, right? Um, maybe he sticks around as a special teamer, backup cornerback, and, and it's like the fourth to last pick in the draft that, the, you know, that's a success, right? You're not going to find a star there. So. Um, all around, I, I think the Nick Jones pick is fine. It, you, you, you joke about the Jerry Sneed thing, but if you go on Twitter and you search Nick Jones, you're going to be you're going to see people out there comping him to the Jerry Sneed just because of the way he plays aggressively and and isn't afraid to stick his nose in and tackle and come up and run defense. Um, I actually saw those comps pre-draft for Nick Jones, and so. Um, if the Chiefs get a player like that, obviously, if I would have, I'd play a game with eleven Lajarius needs on the field and feel pretty good about it. 
Um, all right, moving forward to uh, to undrafted free agents really quickly. Um, Price, just just give me a couple of names of undrafted free agents for Chiefs fans to look out for, and what do you like about them? A, a lot of times with these UDFA's, it's follow the money a little bit as far as those goes. You know, these are players that are basically competing in the open air market for um, Tulsa running back Deneric Prince, four four speed. Um, like I said, he can kind of do some of the similar things that Keaton Mitchell does as far as, um, you know, stretch zone, find the gap, one cut run, not going to be a big tackle breaker. Um, Missouri safety, Martez Manuel had some buzz. Um, you know, he's a guy that like, if you turned on a game and, you know, obviously living here in KC, I've seen a couple of Mizzou games. Uh, he's one of those guys that you, you hear his name called a lot. Uh, and then uh, the Harvard pass rusher, um, Truman Jones, uh, really good RAS score, um, really good profile. Um, you know, he, he's another name that I could see. Honestly, like, you know, we were talking about BJ Thompson, like him and BJ Thompson are going to be pushing your Malik Herrings, your Joshua Kando's of the world a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I, those are the three names I like the most from the UDFA crop. And who knows? Maybe there's another one that pops up here. Like, I feel like uh, we didn't find out until, about Justin Ross until, like, Monday or Tuesday, the next week of after the NFL draft. So there might be some other ones too. Awesome. Oh, how about you, Nate? What's a couple of names that you think Chiefs fans should uh, keep their, keep their eyes open for? Or if there's, if it's the guys that price already mentioned, what do you like about them? Um, I, you know, uh, it's very, uh, Truman Jones was obviously someone, uh, our guy, uh, killed James, uh, I talked about him recently. So, um, that's someone that I know he really likes. So I trust his evaluation there. Um, I remember seeing Grand Valley State offensive lineman Quentin Barrow on some like draftable lists. So that's that's potentially a guy that could stick around the offensive line room or stay on your practice squad. Um, you know, kind of positionally, I thought it was interesting that the Chiefs continue to like get linebackers. I mean, that's like Brevich does this every year where he gets like two or three linebackers in UDFA. I think of like Jack Conkren, Mike Rose, Darius Harris. Like this is something that he very like clearly values in the UDFA process. We also have like values with draft capital, which is interesting. I he clearly likes to have a bunch of different options at a linebacker. Um, you know, I, I haven't watched a lot of these guys uh, to be real, so I, I don't have like a ton of opinions on them individually. But the linebacker thing really kind of stood out to me because like I saw Indiana linebacker Cam Jones. I thought people thought he was going to get drafted, and he didn't. So that's interesting. Maybe he can make the back end of this roster. I guess we'll kind of see. You know, and. You know, you want you want smart football players, right? And you look at these undrafted free agents, and we have Truman Jones from Harvard, and we also have Alan Smith running back from Brown. Um, you know, and it's like, well, you know, maybe maybe Brett Veach is just trying to up the IQ of these uh of these position rooms a little bit by getting these uh, Ivy League guys in here. Uh for me personally, you know, you guys mentioned all the big names that for Chiefs fans to watch out for. But then also on just on the DL Chiefs Kingdom, the Chiefs did sign two quarterbacks to come in and you know push Pat Mahomes for playing time. Um, Todd Centio from James Madison and Connor and Connor Dejanhart from Holy from Holy Cross. Don't know anything about either one of these quarterbacks other than they have interesting sounding names and they are definitely only camp bodies and sacrificial lambs for our rookie pass rushers speak for yourself according to twitter they'll be able to flip them for at least a, a third or a fourth once they get preseason snaps 
So they told me they're not actually getting snaps at the preseason. (laughs) Um, All right. That being said, any last words on the draft for Chiefs Kingdom out there, Nate? Uh, no, I don't have anything about this class. I just wanted to say thanks for everyone for following um, us throughout the draft season. Uh, it's a ton of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's really a lot of fun. Shout out you guys. You guys did a lot. You two in particular did a lot of great work, especially at this podcast and writing. Um, this is my, my first year at Hollywood Pride, so I can't say I have like a ton of experience with it. But I really thought we did a great job with our draft coverage um, for the most part. So shout out you guys, Maurice, uh, Steven Serta. Ron Cobb, Caleb James, you know, Pete and John, everyone that kind of worked on the draft. They did such a great job this year. And, um, you know, for me, uh, this is kind of now my offseason. I'm going to, you know, watch basketball for the next like month or so. I'm really excited for the playoffs, take some time off. But uh, it, it was a really fun process. I'm glad I was able to kind of do it this year. And I just kind of want to thank everyone for, uh, you know, working with us and reading us. We, we really do appreciate it. 100%. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I was giving such great insight and for your work you do on the site, man, you are truly one of the stars in this game and we are lucky to have you as part of our team. Um, Price, buddy, we've gone through this journey together this year so far. Uh, any any parting thoughts on the draft, draft process? Uh, with the 32nd pick in the 2024 NFL draft, the Chiefs are taking Troy Franklin, wide receiver out of Oregon. Uh, I like him. I like his speed. Um, and also I grabbed defensive tackle Dante Corleone out of Cincinnati. I feel like he might, you know, kind of help fill the gaps. Um, draft season never ends, boys. We we are just merely like we're, we're now in the grading phase and then we go right back into the next analysis. But uh, like Nate said, this is also my first draft cycle with AP and it's just been awesome. It's been so cool to be a part of a collaborative team. Um, everyone really chipped in and I feel like we really took our coverage to the next level. And, you know, I, hopefully I just I hope that, you know, I feel like I've gotten a lot smarter and learned a lot about players and comps and understanding that another draft cycle. And I hope that you guys feel the same way, too. So really appreciate it. And. You know, this, this, these are the dark days, boys. Like the Royals might win six, you know, might win 50 games this year. And um, so we just wait until the sweet, sweet, like summer of St. Joe when we get excited about dudes running around in shorts. Um, but until those days, we we will go into hibernation and start studying the 24 prospects. Well, we got rookie minicamp, too, in between there. So we'll have some uh, some new audio and we'll get to oh, I get I guess like the last thing we do get hyped for is schedule release, right? Like schedule mm-hmm. release is kind of kind of exciting. <laughs> it's like a fun two or three days where everyone finally makes all their predictions, but yeah, dark dark days ahead, but we, the NFL will squeeze every last drop of blood out of every rock they have, you know. They'll just <laughs> Oh my god. They they just never stop just trying to make us think things are cool and exciting. Um, but yeah, so this is my second draft cycle with Arrowhead Pride, and I can honestly say having you two and Caleb James and the rest and Maurice and the re- and Rico and all the rest of the team members that we added to this draft cycle have been such great assets, and it was a home run this year and better than ever. And it's thanks to guys like you and the rest of the teammate, the rest of the team that really made our draft cycle what it was this year. To everybody who tuned in. To each season this year you know this is our final episode of the season like 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 uh nate said we're gonna take a little bit of a break on the po- on the podcast um and then we'll hit it back and then but we'll still have our regular scheduled programming you know 
Um, the Great British Chief Show is going to be coming back. We'll still have the um, editor's show with with Pete and John on Wednesdays. Uh, we'll still be cranking out new content all throughout the summer over on the website. So just because Veach season and AP Draft Room are, are going away doesn't mean that that we're going away. You can't get us out of your lives. We're like we're like inception inside of your brains. We're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. Um, this is it for, for, for season one of each season. Hopefully we're back for another season next year. Six seasons and a movie, baby. That's our goal. Um, everybody who's been joining us along this road, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Genuinely doing this podcast with these guys is a dream come true for mine, for me. And so, so for everything that I have, thank you so much for the privilege of your time. And we will see you guys in the next draft cycle. Marvin Harrison Jr., no matter what.